Ellen Vancett, short, long-shouldered, and bull-necked as a gymnast, burst into the machine chamber and ran past the sentinel pylons without bothering to pause for clearance. Laser scans swept over her invisibly the instant before she charged down the rampway to the operations theater. Because the machine recognized her, air phase portals protecting the amphitheater offered no resistance. A slight ionic breeze disturbed her orange hair, brushing feather-cut strands across her broad forehead and green eyes. "'Talk to me!' she called out, her voice muted by a back-phase audio echo that maintained near silence in the theater, though it housed over a thousand bustling operators. "'What have you got?' The machine did not reply. It would wait until she had completed her dash past the aisles of occupied carols, where systems operators communed with the machine, managing the daily global affairs of Earth's eight billion people. Ferns and colorful air plants gave the theater the appearance of an elaborate solarium, camouflaging the black glass obelisks and cubes of the machine's terminals. Ellen silently cursed ACT, the Anthropic Control Treaty, signed four decades earlier, that made human oversight of the machine mandatory. Like many who worked at Circle, the center of international research for the continuance of life on Earth, she fervently believed that the machine should be allowed to handle these multifarious operations entirely on its own. Human supervision had become cumbersome, especially in an emergency such as this. Please, Ellen, slow down, the mellifluous voice of the machine whispered to her. A collision is imminent. She heeded the hushed warning and slowed just before an operator stepped through a curtain of red bromeliads. The two bumped softly and Ellen made no response to the other's mumbled apology, but pushed past and resumed her sprint. Briefly, as she skidded around a corner, she caught her reflection in a black glass panel free of foliage. Her work tunic clung to her youthful figure in rumpled creases from the ionic wash of the air-phase portals she had barged through in her frantic rush. Though her sixty-ninth birthday neared, she appeared no older than her grandchildren in their twenties. "'What have we got?' she blurted. Barely winded, she slid through a blue curtain of cypress moss into the command pod that had summoned her. She flinched to see that the operator was Mtweli Enbala, a renowned humanist who would require lengthy explanations. Quickly, she glanced over the pod, making certain they were alone. The stocky man sat in a sling chair, surrounded by hollow-streaming projections of a cluttered city of minarets, stupas, and milling crowds. We found him, M. Twilly greeted her. Where is he? Pune, India. The hollow streams rotated so that she could more easily observe the crowded streets and tiered housing projects. You're sure it's him? 
A Eurasian face snapped into view, jaw and cheekbone so wide the visage looked square. Droop-lidded eyes under vague eyebrows gazed tranquilly above a hawkish nose and a thin-lipped mouth. Neon alphanumerics identified him as a circle anthrofact with the given name Rafe von Takawa. We've got a complete codon match this time, M. Twelly informed. Scores of hair strands. Hair? Ellen blew a sigh of disbelief. No, he's too careful for that. Well, here it is. A rotating holostream stabilized above M. Twelly's lap and revealed a close-up of a human hair,